Today, we look ahead to one of the most major milestones of our lives when we graduate into retirement. Now, here's our valedictorian and certified financial planner practitioner, Eric Brotman, your host of Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. Get ready for inspiration and actionable advice to guide you towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement where you get to make your dreams a reality. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate. I'm Eric Brotman, your host, and today we are joined by Henry Hutchison, a 25-year veteran in the world of family business globally. Uh, he's done consulting in a number of different industries, has been a part of a family business himself, and we're going to talk a lot about how family business is part of your legacy, part of your quote-unquote retirement plan, and definitely part of potentially one or more of your kids' future. So, Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here. Before we dive into this topic, which has so much meat on the bone, I'm very excited about it. Uh, tell me, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and specifically your background in the family business world and how you came to, to be an author on the subject? Sure. Well, I happened to grow up in two family businesses. Uh, there was a peerless woolen mill on my father's side. Um, and then there was Olin Mills, which was not a mill, but a photography company uh, on my mother's side. And that was a nationwide um, portrait studio in the day and was the top in the country. So I, I you know, heard all about the other one. It had, it had shut and closed before I had gotten there, but I was kind of living in the postmortem. And the other one I grew up and lived in and worked with all my family members and saw the good, the bad, and the ugly and figured, hey, we made it through. Why can't everybody else with a little with a little help? So. Anyway, that's why I do what I do. Do either of those businesses, you said one was a postmortem, does the other still still run? No, it, it doesn't run either. Um, and I'm, you know, at some point in the conversation, I'm happy to kind of go through what happened with each of them and why they were successful in one regard and not successful in another. Well, you've written a, a new book called Dirty Little Secrets of Family Business. And just, just this is a clean show. So if the secrets are too dirty, we have to be careful <laughs> with them. But, but um, I'm very interested in this concept of ensuring success from one generation to the next. Uh, I, I started this business 16 years ago yesterday, actually, as we record this. <laughs> Happy and, birthday. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, Happy it's an anniversary. We're, get, we're getting our 16, driver's license. Yeah, yeah we're, it's a sweet Excellent. 16 here for the company. Pick but, me up. Pick uh, me up later on. But yeah, so I, I, we, I started the company and um, I have a, a, a nine-year-old who thus far has expressed very little interest in taking over the financial planning and wealth management firm. Um, but <laughs> You got to put more pressure down. You can't. I think it, so. I think know, she should be taking her CFP course. Yeah, well, I think it's time. I mean, once you hit fourth grade, you should really be able to do right. the most personal finance. Put the finance. Cheerios, put the Fruit Loops down and get over here and do these books. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Please start start preparing for your career. So, so tell us some of those dirty little secrets. I, I, I think this is a this is a, a neat way to to think about it. So, please share some of those with us. Well, you know, one of the biggest ones that I run into, and I'll focus on this a little bit. I mean, the book is chalk filled of fam examples of family businesses, real life family businesses that I've dealt with. But the underlying core is communication. When you are, you know, a father or mother and you've got some kids that are here and you're thinking about retiring and you want them to take over this business, you've got to figure out, okay, who's going to lead this business and how are the other family members going to feel about that? Especially compared to, uh, you know, when you think about the rest of the 
the relationship that you've had with these children and people are trying to prove themselves, so on and so forth. And then you've got to divide up the ownership of the company on top of that. Um, so those are very difficult and awkward conversations to have. And those are specifically the conversations that you do need to have. But as you wade into trying to have those conversations, everybody's feelings start to get hurt. And the reason why is that you know family is about unconditional love and support, and business is about making a profit. And so you've got these people with whom you you know you have unconditional love and support, but you're in this working environment. And so to reprimand or to give some kind of criticism or give some direction to your children, and hey, even vice versa, dad, you're not doing something right. They take it personally. It's not a professional thing. They take it personally. So what ends up happening in a family business is people don't say the things that need to be said that you would normally say in a business because you're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. And so it, they, they put it off and put it off and put it off until finally when it comes up, uh, it's an explosion and now people are yelling at each other. Or worse, it doesn't get said at all and then the business starts to go awry just because everybody's busy not saying, you know, uh, you know, saying your baby's ugly or calling the queen saying that the king has no clothes on it. But that's one of the big dirty little secrets that comes out in the book is why that is the way it is and how to work through that. Uh, Henry, you brought up a, a number of different loaded points in just the first secret. So let's break this down a little bit. One of them clearly is how do you mix personal and, and business? And I've heard folks who have who have said, you, you know, if we're working together when we're at Thanksgiving dinner, we don't talk about business. And when right. we're at the office, we don't talk about uh, mom, you know, and, right. and that's not always easy to do, but you sort of live in compartments, almost like a Dale Carnegie day tight compartment idea where you've, you've, you try not to, to blend the two. Is that a best practice? You know, I think it's a practice that gets, um, extrapolated across. Um, I mean, certainly if you're having Thanksgiving, it's not much fun if everybody's sitting around talking about business the whole time. Number one, number two, even if they are, it's what happens is many times, I just went through this with the client last week, you know, just because you're having a conversation over Thanksgiving, you can't really write that down and say, hey, when are you going to follow up on that? I mean, this is a, this is vacation time. We're family. We're supposed to be enjoying each other's company. But hey, if the uncle wants to pull the nephew aside and say, hey, you know, you did a good job there, you know, by the way, what happened with this? And there's a little conversation, so on and so forth. So I'm going to call it an informal meeting. So in my opinion, I think it's fine if you're having low-level informal meetings. But if you're trying to actually conduct business at Thanksgiving, no, that's not the place because this is not the place of work. This is the place of, you know, relationships. Um the other side, I actually disagree with quite a bit in the sense that, hey, if you've got things going on, I mean, you're all working together, it's an opportunity to address issues. Um, but I think what is inappropriate is having those heated conversations in the middle of the showroom floor, in the middle of the office when I'm having some major blow-up disagreement on some personal level, which is probably the more likely scenario of bl blending personal in with business. Got it. The, 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 second, the second sort of loaded thing you mentioned is um, how do you treat all the kids in a way that's equitable? I mean, forget equal. What about equitable? And you, you, let's, let's use a scenario where you have two children and your business might be 90% of your net worth. 
Right. And you have two children, and your daughter expresses interest in running the business, and your son wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, in some ways it's easier. In other ways, you have to plan for it differently, I would think. Well, and the reason I say it's easier is what do you do when both of them want to run the business and the two of them don't get along? Um, if one of them wants to run the business and one of them doesn't want to run the business, and one is capable, and maybe they're both capable, but one has the interest in being the true leader, and then the second one is saying, hey, I don't want to be the leader. I'm going to let my sister be the leader, and I'm good with that. Um, that makes it a little bit easier, in my opinion. Um, but but I, let me back you up. Let me back you up. Um, family businesses, as I said before, they're by their nature, they're awkward animals. They're difficult to deal with. Business is hard by itself, and we all know that dealing with family is always kind of interesting and awkward. And so when you blend them together, you've got this unusual dynamic. And so now, on top of this, A, you're working. B, you're going to try to throw a transition plan in here somewhere. There's landmines all over the place where feelings could get hurt and so on and so forth. I mean, at a minimum, i got to make sure that the next generation is sufficiently capable of running this business. Not just because I want the business to keep running, but because I need the money out of this thing. I need you running this well so the money keeps coming so I can retire. My retirement's going to come from the money that gets generated from you running this business while I'm not here. And so I'm going to have to train you and groom you to ensure that you can do this business right, which is a tricky thing to do all by itself. But then the other tricky thing is from the from the seller's point of view, from the father's point of view, you also have to realize that the next generation is going to have their style and they're going to have their strengths and ultimately they're going to run it their way. And that's a good thing as long as they're running it well, right? You measure it by the bottom line. But many times the current generation gets hung up in, hey, you're not doing it my way and the next generation is, I know, I understand your way, but we're doing it differently because we think it's going to be better, so on and so forth. Those are some of the issues that you run into with the transition that you need to deal with. And that's where a lot of the conflict comes in. The way to address it, in my opinion, best is to, is to recognize, hey, it's hard to be in a family in business and sit everybody down, which, in, which I call a family meeting, and say, hey, you know, we are a family, we are in business, it is a difficult thing. My goal is to have you guys run this thing and I retire and I make this money, but you guys need to be capable of doing this. We're going to need to have a bunch of awkward conversations about this thing happening, but let's all remember that we all love each other. That's you know most important, and that will never go away. But we do have to run this business. So let's, let's realize that, number one, and let's have these conversations. Let's have these family meetings you know, twice a month or once a month to discuss what are the things that we need to work on and what are the things we need to discuss in order to try to make this thing happen so that the business runs well and we remain being a happy family. So there are some businesses that will, um, by their very nature, require undergraduate and possibly even graduate education, uh, and others that don't. And so uh, I, I have a, a couple of questions for you, but one of them specifically is, do you think it's a best practice, do you think it's wise for uh, the next generation, for kids to come directly into the business without having experienced the working world in some other place, or do you feel it's helpful for them to cut their teeth someplace where they aren't the son or daughter of the founder uh, and they can learn a little bit about the business world without the, the extra pressure of the family piece? Uh, there's no question that you're better off having the next generation go work somewhere else for a period of time after they've finished whatever level of schooling they're going to ultimately take. Live in the world on your own. 
and be judged, you know, empirically and objectively on your own merits by strangers. You know, I'm going to employ you and I want you to work for me and I'm going to promote you or demote you or applaud you based upon the work that you do. And so it, which is great, but the real point is for the individual to kind of find out who am I and where am I in this world in reality without my support group, right? Because that's how 99% of the world is. I mean, we just go get a job with somebody and we do what we do. Um, and you kind of hone your craft on having to deal with people and how do you sell your ideas and, you know, what, what, what is required of people in the world who are working in the world in order to perform well when it's just a normal world? Hey, there's good bosses and bad bosses and peers and so on and so forth. Go do that for at least two years. Be a little bit successful, you know? And then when you come back to the family business, many people construe that as, hey, I learned something that was helpful for the business. If you're in an ancillary business, that's really cool too. But the real part is to be able to say, hey, I did this thing and I know about this thing that nobody else really knows about because I went and did it. So I have some kind of core self-esteem inside of me that says, I know some things that I'm good at. And I, with that, I... It, it creates my confidence to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dad and say, Dad, I hear what you're saying, but I really think we need to go in a different direction. You juxtapose that to flying under the wing of your parent or parents all the time, and you never really develop yourself into the type of person that can justifiably stand up and say, hey, I'm somebody, and, and I, and I want a seat at the table, and I want to help make these decisions. So it's it's just good for that individual person's self-esteem and independence, and that carries over into dealing with your parents, and it really carries over into one day sitting alone when you take this business to make these decisions. Because at the end, when you own this business, you make your decisions alone, you know? And that's something that takes independence and takes confidence. So in any business, when you contemplate either taking on partners uh, or other owners, or, uh, or succession planning, forget the family impact for the time being, there's a tendency for owners of companies to try to find, uh, for lack of a more graceful term, mini-me's. People who are going to do things exactly the way I did, sometimes for the psychological reasons of wanting it to continue the way you ran it, but sometimes just because that's, that's what you know. So, um, how how dangerous do you think that is, and how difficult is it to let your children now, when they are going to enter the business, one or more of them, um, how do you allow them to be themselves and not try and, and become a, a clone of mom or dad? You know, you're really hitting on a very important part, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it the other way. I mean, if you can find a mini me out there, good luck. Um, but because everybody's going to have their own individual style, right? But the way that I look at it is this. And I look at it from the perspective of the next generation coming in. The typical story you hear, the typical scenario you, you, you see is that you've got a person running a business. Their kids come into the business. They work there for a week or month. And they say, hey, we need to make all these changes. Why do you guys do this? Why do you guys do that? And these ideas that they have probably have merit. I mean, they sound like they have merit, except everybody's saying, look, you don't understand how things work around here, and you can't just come in here and make all these changes. Now, some of it is protecting your turf. If you're going to come in, and I present about this all the time to the next generation, if you're, when you come in, 
the first thing you have to do is establish a baseline that you understand and can perform the work that it's done as it is today, no matter how stupid it is, no matter how broken it is. If this is the system, you need to be able to demonstrate, I got the system. I know how to do it the way we do it. And now you can stand with everybody and they'll be proud of you and say, hey, you, you learned how to do it. You can do it our way. Great. Now you've earned the right to be able to say, you know, guys, I really think and pick a low-hanging fruit. I really think there's an opportunity to make some money here, save some money here. I'd like to sit down and have a discussion about trying to see what we do to fix this thing and lead the charge and try to make the change and do it in a professional manner. Uh, but you got to start from a baseline of saying, I know how we do it here. And then you can begin making your changes. Bigger twist on that is the epiphany that the current owner needs to realize is that they're not going to do it the way you do it. They can demonstrate it, but they're going to have their own style and particularly they're going to have their own strength. Maybe you're more of a marketing person or a people person. Maybe I'm more of a financial person or whatever it is. I'm going to bring my strength and I'm going to view the business through that lens and I'm going to want to take advantage of those opportunities that the current owner may not see. And so the current owner is going to need to realize that, hey, at some point this is going to be his and he's going to run it his way. And so let's go ahead and let him run off in that direction and see if it works while I'm here. Let's talk a, a little bit about the perception of nepotism. And by that, I mean, if you have a situation, let's say you've got a, a company with, with 10 employees, it's a small, small company, whatever it is. And um, some of these folks have been with you for 15 years. And you bring in your son or daughter and uh, they, they sit in every seat and they've learned the role and they're there for a year or so. Uh, and, and then at some point down the road, you start planning for the transition where um, this young person who, to some of your employees, they remember this kid in junior high school visiting the office, visiting mom or dad in the office. Now, this person ostensibly be will become their boss. Um, and sometimes there can be some, I presume, some resentment between uh, the, the incoming child or children of the founder and the longtime lieutenant in the business. Do you see that conflict? Uh, absolutely. Um, and there's kind of the right way and the wrong way to handle it. The wrong way is, you know, hey, I'm going to throw you in here at this high position and I'm going to put people over, uh, you're going to put you over people and you're not qualified to do the work. Hey, maybe you're educated, right? Maybe you've got some education. But frankly, it's whatever the true definition of it is, but you haven't paid your dues, right? You haven't demonstrated that you're, you've done some of the stuff that needs to get done. But it's even bigger than that. If you're going to run this business in the future, you're going to need to have the respect of the people that you're going to be leading. And the best way to get the respect of the people that you're leading is to get down in the ditch with them. Get, you know, if there's levels one through 10 and 10's leading and one's entry level, and everybody in there is at like at a two, three, four, five, go in at the one level. You know, not, not just sweeping the floor, but doing some work that is, this is the work that you do when you join the company. Go dig the ditches, go put the boxes together, go sit on the line and get dirty and do all that stuff. And then you meet people in the break room and everybody around you sees that, hey, you're doing the dirty work, you know, and you laugh at the coffee room and you get to know somebody and so on and so forth. And not, not a direct line from that point, but, you know, even though you've got the master's degree, or the, the college degree or the higher level of education, do some of the dirty work. And then from that point, 
you know, then you can start moving up at a faster pace because everybody knows you're going to be the owner. Everybody knows that you're going to need to be groomed to take on more responsibility. Everybody knows that you've got a higher level of education. But as long as everybody knows that you came in and you were doing the dirty work for a reasonable period of time and you've established a relationship with your peers that is at that level, then they're much more graceful and understanding that, hey, you're now going into the accounting department. You're going to start handling the books. Well, I don't understand the books, right? Um, and then you start moving into different places and, and people will support you. So you got to start at the bottom. You got to demonstrate you can do some work at the bottom before you're going to be accepted at the top. Uh, that's great advice and not easy necessarily for a parent to render but it's still great advice. So uh, let me shift gears a little bit and talk about um, the things that make uh, family businesses, frankly, any business has trouble surviving into a third transition. Um, but family businesses specifically have a really sort of rotten track record of having a third generation ever take over. And I, I think that number is under 10%. It's like single digits that survive into three generations. And so if this now is gram, you know, your grandmother or grandfather's business uh, that, that you're now taking over and it's been running for 60 years, um, for some reason, there's a, a disconnect once that occurs. Have you seen a lot of that and what do we do about it? Well, um, just to clarify something, there's a myth out there that, you know, everybody says shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves and three generations or what have you, which is true. Um, however, the same proportion of companies go under from generation one to generation two as two to three. It's just the reasons are different. Typically, you know, you found a business, somebody worked hard, got some luck, they were really bright, had a knack for the business, and they did well. And they run the business and they start dragging people in and things are growing and things are going well. And so they drag people in and, you know, these people see, hey, they're making money here. I want to be a part of this. What do I do? And the guy's going to say, look, I need you to just do this just like this. Do it just like this because I can't cover this space because i got to go over here and cover this other space. Okay, great. I'll go do this thing. You bring in a bunch of people. You bring in a bunch of family members. You tell them exactly what they need to do to make the machine run. And so the machine is running. The machine is running. And everybody looks to dad or looks to mom for whatever the questions are because it's his business. And, you know, we just do what he says. Dad dies. And now you got this next generation that's out here cranking the wheel and doing the thing but they don't really know why they're doing the thing they're just doing it because dad told them to do the thing and they are kind of missing the root understanding of you know how does this thing work why does it work so on and so forth that's why two-thirds of those businesses go out of business now the one-third that's going to make it that go on to the third generation because they you know were bright or they took it to the next level or whatever the reason is when you get the next generation coming in and it starts in the second generation as well with the younger kids is that if you start to get really successful, you start to make money. If you start to make money, you start driving nice cars and buying boats and houses. Um, when you get to the third generation, there's probably some wealth there. So you have this tendency to have entitlement, to have nepotism, and you have this mentality that, hey, we are the experts at doing this business because our last name is what our last name is. We are the experts because we're related to that person who started this business who's got this big deal name. And so, therefore, I am good at what I do, which 
couldn't be further from the truth. People are good at what they do because they happen to be empirically and objectively good at that thing. The disconnect that happens, it's interesting you use that word, is that when you start a business, you struggle. You struggle to make this thing work. And when you're the first, when you're the second generation, you're young, you see the struggle. You participate in that struggle to make this work. And that's a lot of the reason why the second generation has something going for it is that they realize, hey, we know the struggle and we know that struggling is necessary. Third generation, not so much. We're making good money. There's good profit. We're talking about putting a board in and governance. People are driving nice cars. We're going on nice vacations. They think this thing runs on autopilot, and it doesn't. And that's one of the big um, Achilles heels in the third generation is that they don't realize they haven't really had to get their hands dirty, and they weren't there when this thing got built, and they were potentially going to go out of business. And so they lack a little bit of respect for how fragile a business can actually be, um, and that's part of the problem with going from two to three. Got it. Well, I, I could talk to you for three hours, Henry, and, and hopefully we'll have a chance to chat again at some point. Uh, but we're reaching the end of our show. And before we get there, um, I, I need you to provide our listeners with an extra credit assignment. That one thing, okay. one takeaway that folks can, can, um, can take from this, uh, from spending a half an hour with us today. Sure. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's kind of a culmination of everything we talked about, but I'll be really specific with it. Running a business is really hard. You've got buyers, you've got suppliers, you've got employees, you've got economics, you've got competitors, you've got customers, you've got product sets and services. How do you win in business? You know, you could have a Harvard business degree, but, you know, many of those guys all go out of business because not everybody wins. Business is hard all by itself. Then you've got a bunch of family members over here with their, their quirks and their idiosyncrasies and their opinions about different people and grandma and grandpa and you know all these dynamics that, that go on that have nothing to do with work. It's just an unconditional love and support and I'm blood related to these people and you have what kind of you have whatever relation you have with these people. You mix those two things together and you have inherently created something that's very unusual. It's oil and water. It's not supposed to be this way. Just because you're my brother doesn't mean you're the best guy to hire to go do this. But, hey, you're my brother, and I trust you, and I'm going to bring you in, right? So my point is this to your listeners. Fam being in a family business is really hard. And you need to, A, you need to recognize that. And now that you recognize that, you need to realize you need to do something about it. You need to actually spend some time focusing on, hey, what are the things that we need to do to make sure that we run well from a business and a family perspective, given that we're a family business. Let's sit down once a month and talk about that. Let's not talk about Thanksgiving. Let's not talk about business. Let's talk about us being in business. And then number three is probably the big one. Everybody's listening to this going, yeah, yeah, I get that part. And yeah, yeah, I get that part. The part they don't get is that they need to start now. They need to start today. They need to put the meeting on the calendar today to meet next week or the week after and put it on the calendar for an hour and a half and say, we're having a family business meeting and we're going to talk about whatever it is that we need to talk about to work together to make sure we work well because we're dealing with an unusual and hard situation. Be aware, do something about it, and do it now. Don't procrastinate. This is a good thing you're going to do. 
Great advice, Henry. Um, where can folks get a, a hold of you if they're interested in learning more, and where can they get a hold of, of your new book? Oh, well, I'm Henry Hutchison. Uh, our firm is called Family Business USA. Um, we work all over the U.S. and internationally. Um, and the name of the book is Fam- uh, Dirty Little Secrets of Family Business. You can type my name. You can just Google my name, and you can um, find me. You can uh, type in familybusinessusa.com, find our site. Um, through our site, you can find our book. But obviously, all books are found on Amazon. Uh, they're also at Hudson Bookstores and, and Barnes and & Nobles around the country. Um, but just remember the dirty little secrets of family business. By the way, the um, full disclosure, there's no dirt in the book. It's just a provocative title. Um, what's <laughs> in there is this is this is the real roadmap you need at a very basic level that says, hey, you're a family business these are the 10 things you need to worry about and here are the 10 ways ways to do it right and here are the 10 ways that you do it wrong and here's some family businesses that were in those situations and let me show you what they went through so you can see that this is the right way and this is the wrong way so it's really a, a road map well henry thanks you've been a terrific guest i've enjoyed our conversation uh, and to all our listeners out there, um, we'll be back in two weeks with a, another hopefully provocative and interesting guest uh, on your path to graduation. Uh, and remember, don't retire, graduate. For more, go to www.dontretiregraduate.com uh, or check out our company website at bfgfa.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. From this day forward, let us make each decision with our best interests in mind. Let us begin visualizing our dreams and reaching our goals. It's time to take the next steps in our life journey and build our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website, don'tretiregraduate.com to download episodes and connect with us on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.